Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today, I just want to take a moment and thank the National Peanut Board for their kind sponsorship of today's show and for all of their support over the years. We are sitting down with Allison Kasson, MSRD, LD, from Cincinnati Children's Center for Eosinophilic Disorders to explore good nutrition while managing EOE and or food allergies and to learn about the impact of plant-based milks used with young children. Welcome, Allison. We're just so delighted to have you here on the Facts Roundtable podcast. It's been quite a while since we've seen you because of the pandemic, so it's a thrill to at least have your voice with us. Well, thank you, Caroline. That's very sweet. I'm excited to speak with you and to your audience through this platform. I think that's been one of the blessings maybe of the pandemic is we have new tools. So before we start exploring what good nutrition for children with EOE and food allergies look like, can you just share your background and what type of work you're currently doing at Cincinnati Children's? Thanks. I'm happy to. So I'm a registered dietitian at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and there I specialize in working with children with food allergies, but then also both children and adults with eosinophilic gastrointestinal disorders. So a registered dietitian, for those of you who don't know in the audience, is I'm someone that has a four-year degree in nutrition and dietetics who also has done a dietetic internship. Lasts about a year where they do clinical rotations. So this is different from a nutritionist who may or may not have a nutrition-specific degree and isn't necessarily credentialed to work with a nutritional management of medical conditions. But my path to dietetics was a little roundabout. My undergrad was actually in zoology. So I just loved ecology and that's the work I thought I wanted to do. But I got funneled into the laboratory setting. That was really, that bench work was really impersonal. And I wanted to use my science knowledge to help people and was really drawn to nutrition and dietetics. And here I am. Now I work at Children's Hospital um, as a dietitian in food allergy, and it's a really great population that I enjoy working with, and food allergy has been a really exciting area to be in in the last few years because we have lots of new research emerging in EOE, but also in food allergy when it comes to oral immunotherapy and lots of things on the horizon that we're excited to be working with. What a fascinating background to start in zoology and then end up over here. I'm sure your patients are very happy you ended up over here. (laughs) I am too. Well, thank you. It's really flattering. Well, interestingly, I was paired up in this role because I had experience working at a flavoring company. I mean, my knowledge of food manufacturing processes, the managers felt that I'd be a good fit to work with food allergy patients. And lo and behold, here I am. That is fascinating. I love this. 
For our listeners who may not know, can you explain the difference between EOE and food allergies? Eosinophilic esophagitis, or EOE for short, is still a type of food allergy, but it's more of a delayed food allergy compared to IgE allergy or allergy that results in anaphylaxis. So it's more delayed, but it doesn't mean it's any less severe because eosinophilic esophagitis can cause impairments in a person's ability to eat food and enjoy food from a quality of life perspective. So eosinophils are a type of white blood cell. They are meant to fight parasitic infections, but in people with eosinophilic esophagitis, these eosinophils are present in their esophagus and they're not supposed to be. And we're still not really sure why, but we know that it's driven by a food allergy. A lot of patients with eosinophilic esophagitis respond to elimination diets where we remove the most common food allergens in the food system. That includes milk, wheat, egg, nuts, soy, and seafood. So similar to the common allergens that are involved in anaphylactic or IgE type food allergies. Thank you very much. But I do know, again, people with EOE, and I've heard EOG as well, have to avoid certain foods, and they have the same behavior as someone as food allergy, but the end result can be very, very different. Thank you for explaining those differences. So the symptoms of EOE, to give a little more detail, they differ depending on the patient's age. Little children, like toddlers, young children, might present with symptoms that aren't necessarily related to the esophagus, at least not upon initial inspection. These young children might refuse to eat altogether because they have discomfort when eating food. Or they might have what we call an immature diet, meaning that they only prefer to drink liquids or they only prefer to eat pureed foods or soft kind of dissolvable solids because those foods are easier to swallow and feel better going down. Now, older children might have belly pain and vomiting, which is really interesting because you wouldn't think that that's an esophageal symptom. And then it's not until the patients are older, maybe adolescents or adults, where they start complaining of dysphagia or trouble swallowing, or sometimes actually in severe cases, food actually getting stuck. So it's really hard to sort out which foods are causing the inflammation because the reaction is so delayed and it tends to build over time, that inflammation and eventually sometimes scar tissue. Thank you. It was very, very detailed answer. And I really appreciate that. You're a dietitian who specializes in optimizing the nutrition for children with EOE. So then can you explain how EOE may impact nutrition and then how parents can take steps to, to keep their children's diet healthy and nutritious while living with EOE? Sure. Now, because EOE involves specifically the esophagus, it can impair a person's ability to comfortably consume foods. Patients who come to our clinic at presentation, they might have some nutritional deficits, maybe poor growth because they don't eat enough food, or maybe delayed feeding development as a result of this disorder. And that makes sense when you think about it. For most of us, when we're developing our feeding skills, feeding is a pleasurable activity. You know, we eat food, we feel satiated, and that makes us feel good. So we're encouraged with that positive reinforcement to keep eating. But anyone, or especially a young child who has a 
negative experience when eating food, maybe food causes them some pain, such as in the case of EOE, that can really impair their ability to enjoy food. As a result, they might have poor nutritional intake. So not only that, so not only does EOE involve potential, at least for poor nutrition, it doesn't happen in every patient, but the therapy for EOE can also put the patient at nutritional risk. So because, you know, as I mentioned before, common therapy for EOE is removing milk, wheat, egg, soy, nuts, and seafood. Those are a lot of really prevalent nutritious foods in a toddler's diet or a young child's diet. You can think of kid-friendly foods like pizza and mac and cheese and breaded chicken. All, all those things contain those allergens, and they contribute significant calories and nutrition to a person's diet. So when we remove those foods, we want to make sure we replace them with adequate substitutions. And that's where a dietitian can really help you individualize diet therapy for you or your child, depending who's going through the elimination diet. I think I've seen before some of my friends who have children with EOE have nutritional drinks or nutritional pouches. So do you need to supplement the diet as well? Depends on the child or the adult in some cases, you know, who's following the diet. If it's hard for them to consume a well-rounded diet, meaning lean protein, fruits and vegetables, whole grains that are wheat-free, if it's hard for them to consume a balanced diet easily because of existing feeding issues or just nowadays a busy lifestyle, those nutritional drinks, if they're free of those common allergens, can be beneficial. So a lot of drinks now are pea protein based or have some kind of plant-based protein as a nutritional source. And those products, those can be good to use as supplementation. But some little kids don't need quite as much protein that are in those drinks, so they can be a little excessive. But if they're designed for pediatrics, they could certainly be appropriate for our younger patients too. Moving over to the food allergy side, what are a few of the most concerning nutritional challenges? You know, I've recently heard on social media people talking about how common it is for children with food allergies to also have texture issues. You know, a lot of food allergies are diagnosed early in life. I talk a lot about our feeding skill development, probably because I have a bias as a pediatric dietitian. But if a child has diagnosed early in life with multiple food allergies, that could impair the variety of foods that they're offered early in life. And it makes sense. If your child was diagnosed with a really frightening, potentially life-threatening food allergy, then some parents might be a little apprehensive about trying a wide variety of foods in their young child, and that might include a wide variety of textures. So if that child hasn't been exposed to lots of textures early in life, they kind of miss that window of opportunity to build oral motor skill development and texture experience with textures early in life. But some kids, even if they are exposed to those textures early in life, might still have some existing texture aversion, and that's certainly possible. If it's really severe, and again, I may have a bias here because I'm also an EOE dietitian. If it's really severe, it's important to realize that a lot of children with EOE also have IgE food allergy. So it might be something to keep on your radar. If your child has IgE-mediated food allergy, might have some texture issues with food, might display maybe some immature feeding patterns, it might be worthwhile to consult with a gastroenterologist just to 
check or keep the diagnosis of EOE on the radar. We're not saying that every child with food allergy is at risk for having EOE, but if you see those associated feeding behaviors, it may be worthwhile to consult a specialist. Thank you. That was very eye-opening. So now, the North American Society for Pediatric Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition released a position paper about plant-based milk. Can you share with listeners what the concern was and actually what triggered the need to create that position statement? I'm glad you brought that up. We are seeing so many more kids coming through GI and allergy clinics, whether they have food allergies or EOE or not. We see a lot of parents that are preferring to offer their young children plant-based milk alternatives. Now, those are things like almond milk or um, pea protein-based milk or soy milk. And those can be suitable alternatives for certain children. But for really young children, there is a concern that those alternatives are not as nutritionally complete as, say, cow's milk. For the children who need to avoid cow's milk, or cow's milk is contraindicated in their diet because maybe they have a food allergy to cow milk, or maybe they have EOE and they're following an elimination diet, this NASPGAN position paper really encourages using some type of suitable nutritional alternative as a beverage for young children. Now, while, Caroline, for you or I, if we want to make a smoothie with almond milk, that's great. Now, it gives us a nice boost of calcium. They're really highly enriched with calcium. So for us, we're probably eating enough protein in our diet. Maybe a nice boost of calcium in a smoothie is good for us as adults and might be good for teens too. But for young children, if they start drinking large volumes of those milk alternatives that have a lot of calcium in them, they can potentially get way too much calcium that can cause them other nutritional problems, which I think parents mean really well. You know, they want to do what's best for their child. And these alternatives are marketed as being healthy and organic. And I think in certain cases, they can be really good options for baking or using on a bowl of cereal. But as a primary beverage for young children, and the NASPGAN position paper asserts that we should choose something with a better nutritional value. So what does that mean? (laughs) What are our options? And you kind of alluded to this before, Carolyn. You said, what about some of those protein shakes or nutritional drinks? And those can be really good options for kids who have milk allergy or need to avoid milk for some reason. There are some specialized formulas that are hypoallergenic that are on the market. A lot of them are medical grade, and you can get them by prescription if you see an allergist or gastroenterologist for your child's allergic condition. They would be able to prescribe that for you, something that's appropriate. Or there's things that are over-the-counter that are pea protein-based. I alluded to that before. So some specific brands of the -the over-the-counter ones would be Orgain. They have a pediatric shake that's pea protein-based. Also, so the ones that are prescription-based would be ones like Alicare or Neocate. Those are amino acid-based and completely hypoallergenic. But then we also use something called Kate Farms. It's a pea protein. But there's also some soy alternatives too, like Bright Beginning Soy or something called Pediasmart Soy that might be suitable for your child as well. Thank you. That was really good information. I take it for granted. I like to bake with some plant protein milks, but it never dawned on me about what nutrition I might be taking away from my daughter. Always take it with a grain of salt. And this is why nutrition should be so individualized. Some kids eat protein from other dietary sources like 
lean meats and beans and seeds, they eat those things really well, or they might have really excellent fruit and vegetable intake. Maybe those kids, if I take a look at their diet, I'm less worried about that, making sure they have a really protein or nutrient-rich milk alternative. But if they're young, they've just weaned off of formula or breastfeeding, they're 15 or 18 months of age, and maybe because of food allergy or EOE, they've had some delayed food introduction and have really restricted diets, or you know, maybe they're still eating really simple diets or poor growth. But maybe that's a possibility or an opportunity to put something a little more nutrient-dense as a beverage into their diet using one of those specialized formulas. So you really have just led a nice path to the next question is where does a parent start if they want to find a dietitian and to learn about these basics? My daughter does eat a lot of beans. So where would I start just to make sure she really is getting good nutrition? Many dietitians belong to the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. On their website, you can plug in a zip code and find a dietitian and also filter by dietitians who specialize in different areas. And that's anything, you know, that's food allergy, but also pediatrics, oncology, any specialty you're looking for, that could be a really good resource. There is also a group called INDANA. That's an acronym for something called the International Network of Diet, Nutrition, and Allergy. So it's like Indiana, but without the extra I, INDANA. Whenever I try to search for it, it tries to default my search to Indiana. Like, no, I went Indana. So that's a really great resource. I'm a member of Indana. We are a close-knit group of dietitians who specialize in allergy. I would say because of the pandemic, many of us are doing telehealth now. So that group can help you find someone who might be licensed in your state and able to do a telehealth or even in-person visit if you live close to a major medical center. And it's an international group, so we can help all around the world. It's a great resource. Excellent. And to our listeners, I will get the links for this from Allison, and I'll put them in the podcast notes so you can find them easily. Before we wrap up, is there anything you would like to share with listeners? I was training someone this week, and I said that I get some of my best advice or my best tips on managing a food allergy from my families and my patients, because you were the ones living it every day. So Thank you for that. And thank you for continuing to share all of your knowledge with me. I'm learning new things every day and I love this population. So really, I just have a lot of gratitude um, because I really appreciate, you know, all the care that you give to yourselves and your children and all the feedback you've given me over the years. Thank you. That is so kind. We're at the end of our time here. So Allison, thank you so much for your time. I know you are super busy and I just appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge with us. And I will definitely make sure I get all the links that you want the listeners to have at the end of the podcast. Thank you once again for being on the podcast. And I look forward to having you on again. My pleasure. It was really fun. Again, we want to thank the National Peanut Board for sponsoring this week's Facts Roundtable podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.